You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Report. It's just right. The perfect amount of quiet and isolation. The environment is easy to study in. No distractions, just beauty and books. Learn more and apply at wasm.education. W-A-U-S-M dot education. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Who Did What Now? history podcast that is not your history class with me your remarkably refreshed host Kerry Charlwood DIY attempter and reader of books welcome welcome back if you're used to being here and welcome if you're new hi how's everyone this week why am I asking that you can't tell me oh I hope you all had a good week I had a day off of work finally finally had a day off it's been eight days I think because I was doing stuff with the move, because it's been a year without most of people having been able to get to the shops, I actually had some people around today who I I just gave away a bunch of the cancelled clothes. Some of the stuff still had tags on it. You know, we'd bought some nice stuff for them to wear out and about, but like there was nowhere to go. So we just, and um, everyone was like, let me give you something for it. And I was like, no, just take it. Like, I'm not going to use their clothes anymore. So I got to do that and I got to just give it. And then I had some toys, like I had a tricycle and a little scooter and um, a little tykes car that looks like a dinosaur. Uh, a toddler playgroup, which is actually going to be starting back up again when everything sort of calms down. So they're going to have some toys when they go back. And I'm just, I'm just happy someone else gets joy out of the things that give my kids joy, you know? It's just nice to give. And it's also really handy because now the room is empty and I can start clearing and um, we're trying out paint swatches and stuff. And the bunk beds arrive for the kids. And I'm meeting up with one of my friends for a socially distanced walk um, later on in the week. And I'm just I'm very... Very excited. Ah. So yeah, it's just been really, really productive. I've had a really productive day off. I was rested. I managed to move furniture and clear out a room and have everything packed up so we can start decorating. And my throat is slowly healing. I'm sure you can still hear there's a bit of a rasp still there. But for the most part, it's not excruciating anymore. So I'm I'm pretty excited. Things are Things are looking up for me. News, 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 news. Um, if you want to hear me in all my ADHD glory, by the way, I am a guest on the fantastic Fishnets and Philosophy podcast. Uh, so they're on Spotify. You can actually go listen to them on Spotify, Fishnets and Philosophy. 
And you get to hear me talk about why history needs to be viewed from a lens that is not just old white men. <laughs> of a, especially those of a certain generation, where a lot of our perceptions regarding history are from. Which I think sort of falls into the, <laughs> the guild. I made merch! Jesus, I made merch actually as well. So the Guild of Historical Descent... Yeah, so I've got the Guild of Historical Descent, I've got some logo stuff up there, and I'm actually working on one for this, but it's, um, nothing's turning out quite how I like it. So yeah, the, I'll put the link for the merch in below, and also the link for Beacons, where it's got all the list of all the apps and social medias and all of that jazz. And I know what you're thinking, quit your jibber-jabber and fact me, and fact you I shall. We are going to talk about uh, Olga of Kiev, Saint Olga, as some of you may know her, and I love this woman. But before we get into this, we're going to get our source on. Olga of Kiev, Princess Warrior, by Celeste Yeekley. Saints behaving badly, the cutthroats, crooks, trollops, conmen and devil worshippers who became saints, by Thomas J. Crockwell. Princesses behaving badly. Real Stories from History Without the Fairy Tale Endings by Linda Rodriguez McRobbie. And of course, Biography.com and History.com. So let's talk about Olga. I fucking love Olga. So, as we know with women in the past, birth dates, kind of like throwing a dart at a map. You never really know where it's going to end up if you have terrible dart skills like me. So, because we don't really know too much about Olga of Kiev, we have her birth date. You're going to love this one. Olga of Kiev was born somewhere between the year 890 and 925. But, eh, woman of the past, who knows? So we don't really know much about her life pre-marriage, um, except we think she might have been Vangarian, so like Viking is generally the, the term. So like what Greeks and Russians would call the Vikings. And so she may have been Viking, but we don't know. It's very much a maybe. So we generally think that Olga was born in 903-ish and around in Pskov, Russia. If I've pronounced that incorrectly, yeah, probably. Pskov? That sounds, sounds vaguely right. Uh, <laughs> we don't really know that much about her, even when she marries, because she marries like when she's about 15 or so, to Igor, or Igor, Prince of Kiev, and they have a son. So Olga is married to Prince Igor of Kiev. So let's talk about the Kievian Rus. So the Kievan Rus was like this empire that had built up. Eh, not everybody was super thrilled about that, like the Drevlians, which were this tribe who generally paid tribute to like a bunch of people who had come before Igor. So like a bunch of princes and his predecessors and stuff, they would pay, which was, which was effectively part of this like extortion racket. So they would pay this fucking protection fee to all of these previous princes of Kiev. But when the prince before die in 912, uh, they decide, fuck it, no, we're going to pay this. We're going to pay this, this fucking fee, this tribute to this local warlord instead. By 9, 945, Igor's like, mate, no, I want my privileges back. Fuck this. I'm going to get these guys on side. So he takes a trip to their capital of Iskoristan, which um, now would be in like northern Ukraine. And so he shows up and he's like, look, Tezai, your leader, give me my fucking money. And they're like, um, no, 
this visit, him showing up, was like a slap in the face to the Drevlians and they're fucking pissed about it. So what do they do? Um, they decide to kill him. What they do is they bend down these two birch trees and they tie Prince Igor's feet and his legs to the trees. And then they let the trees straight. They just let go like boing. And they let the trees straighten up again, which, haha, pretty much it tears him apart. It literally rips him. Jesus. Anyway, so he's dead in a horrific fashion. And Olga is, Olga's still at home with their three-year-old son, Sviatoslav. And Sviatoslav, he's like three years old and, you know, generally too young to actually rule. So Olga has to step up and rule in his place. So the Drevlians are like, oh, I have an idea. This is a lady on the throne. And as a lady, she must be in want of a husband. And so we shall bend this demure noblewoman to our will. And they will arrange for her to marry the Drevlian prince Mal. Which means not only would they no longer have to pay any sort of protection fee or fucking tribute to the Kievan Rus, they would rule the Kievan Rus. So while Olga's just ruling and such, the Drevlians send 20 of their best men to try and persuade her to, um, head up at this, marry the living embodiment of her husband's murder. So these diplomats show up and they're like, hmm, please marry the man who murdered your husband. And she's like, hmm, fuck this for a game of soldiers. And what does she do? She tells the diplomats, why, yes, I do think this is a wonderful proposal, as my husband is dead and cannot be, you know, brought back. But you know what? But you know what? I think we're going to wait till tomorrow um, so I can honour you. So if you please could go back to your boat and I want you to tell people that it was like your idea and that you only want to be in your boat so that you are seen to have the authority because obviously you're a man and I'm just like, but a princess. And while they're in their boat, she gets her men to dig a ditch. So the next day, good as her word, they stay in their boat and they are carried. The people of Kiev carry the Trevlians in their boat and they were carried into the court where, whoops, they were dropped into a fucking trench that Olga had demanded to be dug the day before. And while they are being buried alive in this fucking pit, Olga bends down and says to the diplomats, now I'm paraphrasing a wee bit, she said, um, how do you like them apples, bitch? Instead of just leaving it as it is, like burying alive a bunch of diplomats, Olga has other ideas. Olga decides to send word back to Prince Mal and that she would absolutely, definitely, 100% love to marry him. However, she would require, you know, in order to be respectful and to show just like how important this match was because, you know, she's a fucking princess, the ruler of the Kievan Rus. And if they want this marriage to happen then, frankly, they need to send over their gentry to collect her and accompany her back to the Drevlian territory. And so Prince Mal, her wannabe sitter, happily obliges to this because uh, like he isn't aware the dignitaries and diplomats have been uh, buried alive. Um, but he's like, yay, more people to transport my princess. Woo-woo, wifey, come this way. So he sends a party of 
like the gentry. So a bunch of his chieftains, he sends them over. And so she gives them a grand welcome because of course she does. She's she's welcoming the gentry into her court. And so being the kind, considerate host she is, she invites the visitors to clean up in her bathhouse. So they go in and they go to have a wash and she locks the doors, sets fire to it and burns everyone alive. And you're thinking, geez, Olga, that's that's two counts of mass murder. But you know what? Um, She wasn't finished because hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Even though most of the Drevlian ruling class has been um exterminated, Olga decides she's going to get rid of the rest of them. She announces that she'll be arriving back the, the Drevlian capital, so she's heading back to Iskoriston, and she asks them to arrange a funeral feast so they could all mourn over her husband's death in the very, in that city. And even though no one had heard from either of the groups they'd already sent to Olga's court, the Drevlians are like, yes, she's coming, we better set about this feast. And they have a feast. And what do they do? They have the fucking feast. So they have this big feast and there's lots of food and mead and merriment and everybody gets fucking sloshed. Well, all of the Drevlians get sloshed. They're all out for the count. They're drunk. And while they are all rat-arsed, Olga's soldiers slay 5,000 of them. And you're thinking, okay, she's done now. She's not done yet! No! So the surviving Drevlians, they're like begging for mercy and they're like, we'll pay you in honey and fur and other goods which are neither sticky nor furry. And she's like, okay, give me three doves and three sparrows from each house. And because I I don't need all the money, I don't need a huge tribute, I don't need that, I'm not going to extort you. All I want is this teeny tiny gift. You're clearly impoverished after all of these sieges. What Olga does is Olga gives each of her soldiers and her army a bird. And they have to attach like a piece of like sulfur, which is like tied to their legs with bits of cloth. And so it's nighttime. She gets the soldiers to release the birds and they all fly back to coops, their hamos, the eaves, the porches. And every house, every fucking house in this entire village is engulfed in flames and there is no chance in hell anybody is escaping. People are trying to flee and anybody who tries to flee, the soldiers are catching them. So she takes the city. So like she has decimated the city at this point. It is burned to the ground. It is cinders at this point. And she captures like the elders of the city and she kills some of the captives and she gives some as slaves to her followers. And then whoever is left, she leaves so they can pay tribute. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart 
and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. After this, people are generally like, hmm, let's not mess with Olga. So after this whole thing, Olga stays the regent ruler of the Kievan Rus. Um, and she is like supported by her army and her people. She does change the sort of the system of tribute gathering. So the first recorded legal reform in Eastern Europe. And she manages to like avoid marriage proposal for the most part. And she manages to defend the city during the siege of Kiev in 968, managing to save the throne for her son. And as she's ruling, she establishes trading posts, trade centres, towns, boundary posts, hunting grounds. She manages to centralise state rule with these trade centres which are called Pogosti. And these would be like really, really important in the ethnic and cultural unification of, of you know, the Rus people. And all of these border posts, they sort of establish um, these like national boundaries of, of the kingdom. When her son takes over and he starts going on like military campaigns and things like that, while he's away, he basically puts her back in as regent when he's away and she takes charge and stays there with her grandsons while he's out doing his thing. Remember when I said she was a saint? You're probably thinking at this point, how is this incredibly vengeful and vicious person a saint? Well, in the 950s, Olga travels to Constantinople, which at the time was the capital of the Byzantine Empire. And once she's there, the assistance of the Emperor Constantine VII, she converts to Christianity. But it seems to be like, it's really funny, it's kind of like a, a cat and mouse thing a wee bit. So what I think it is, is that Constantine was like, hey, you and I could roll together. Because like he sees that she's pretty cute, she's pretty hot for whatever the standards were in the time. And she's like really smart. So she's like, after a wee chat, Constantine's like, you're worthy to reign with me in this city. And when he says that, Olga's like, um, that's nice. I'm pagan, so yeah. And so the topic of baptism comes up and she's like, listen, if you want to baptize me, you're going to have to do it yourself. Like, fine. So the emperor, with the assistance of the patriarch, baptizes her and she gets christened with the name Helena. And it's from one of two places. It's either from St. Helena or she literally named herself after Emperor Constantine's current wife, Helena. So Constantine is like, hey, so you want to get married now that you're all baptized? And she's like, oh no, oh dear. Church law states that a goddaughter can't actually marry her godfather, so... <gasps> Whoops. 
some people may have been pissed at that and thought they were chucked in the uh, friend zone. But he was like, haha, you have outwitted me. And then he gives her a bunch of shit like gold, silver, silks, vases, and a, and a bunch of other stuff. So she returns back to Kiev and she's like, hey, son, my darling Sviatoslav, do you want to get baptized? And he was like, um, no. He's like, my followers would laugh at me if I'd like turned Christian, but okay. And she's like trying to convince him that his followers would, you know, convert to if he converted. But he's like, nah, I'm good. But he did, but he did elect to like not persecute anybody who decided to convert to Christianity. Which, you know, is probably the best you could hope for at the time. So Olga starts building churches in like Peskov and Kiev and a bunch of other places. And Olga tries to like invite bishops from the Byzantine Empire over. She asks the Holy Roman Emperor Otto to like send some bishops and some priests. And the bishops had sort of gone, but the pagans were like, "Mm, we don't want the bishops here. And so the bishops were just expelled, really. So Olga dies in 969, which is not long after the siege of Kiev. As she's still dying in her last days, she has to convince her son to actually stay in Kiev with her. And he's like, I'm thinking of moving like my throne and all that stuff to Danube. And she's like, um, can you stay here for a bit? Because I-, I don't think I'm here for long. And she's like, listen, I'm going to die soon. Can you please ensure that I have a proper burial, a Christian burial? That's all. And then you can go and do whatever you want, son. You know, whatever you like. And so she dies three days later. The whole of the Kievan Rus goes into mourning. The princess of Kiev has last rites performed by a priest. And even though Sviatoslav really didn't like Christianity, he was still respectful enough of his mum that he gets her priest Gregory to hold a Christian funeral and not do any of the like the ritual pagan feast and all that stuff. And she's buried in a tomb in Kiev. And she's there for like 200 years and then it gets destroyed by the Mongolian Tatar armies of the Batu Khan in about 1240. So while Olga was alive, she tried to make the Kievan Rus um, like a Christian territory, but it didn't really work at the time. But it was actually her grandson, Vladimir, who ended up officially turning to Christianity in about 988, making it like making it like the official religion of the Kievan Rus. Like nearly six centuries after her death in 1547, the Russian Orthodox Church names Olga a saint. She ends up being, um, she gets this um, honorific called the Apostolos, which means equal to the apostles. The Eastern Orthodox Church the Ruthenian Greek Catholic Church and the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. And she's also sainted in the Roman Catholic Church. St. Olga's feast day is July 11th, which is supposedly the date of her death. And so St. Olga becomes the patron saint of widows and converts. She inspires like a bunch of stuff. There's like 25 churches and monuments that are made in her honour. Yeah, there's like 25 monuments and churches and stuff dedicated to her and that's in Australia, Canada, Russia obviously, the Ukraine and the US. There's like monuments, airports, chapels, churches, cathedrals, bridges, like a bunch of stuff. Uh, There's, this is really funny, a ballet based on Olga's life was 
composed to commemorate the 1500th anniversary of the city of Kiev in 1981. There was a concept album by the French band Girod about Olga of Kiev called A Perfect Absolution. And in 1997, the Ukraine created the Order of Princess Olga. And it basically has a sort of symbol of Olga of Kiev on this little medal with a wee ribbon. And it's a Ukrainian civil decoration. And it is bestowed to women for, and I quote, personal merits in state production, scientific, educational, cultural, charity, and other spheres of social activities for upbringing children and families. And it is, and it has a first, second, and third class grades. And Ukrainian citizens and foreigners are eligible for the order. And that is the story of Princess Olga of Kiev. Wow! I just, some saints have the best stories. Like, they just do. And what did we learn today? Some saints are badasses. Uh, don't murder somebody's husband and then try and marry them. Oh, and uh, and you know what? I like to think that Olga of Kiev is the patron saint of widows, converts, and burning the fucking patriarchy. Oh my goodness. Oh, <laughs> I like that one. And see, these are stories I don't think get told very often. Because a lot of our history revolves around straight white men for the majority, you know what I mean? And sort of colonialism, really. Oh my goodness, I actually forgot to say, I want to thank everyone for their Apple Podcast reviews. They're still coming in and uh, it's amazing, it really is. And you have no idea how much it helps on the back end and it helps push you up the charts. Like I'm charting in Brazil, Denmark and where else now? There was somewhere else that was very strange somewhere else. But anyway, if you liked today's story or my retelling of the story, please, please, please go onto Apple Podcasts and rate, review five stars and, you know, say something. It doesn't have to be anything about the podcast. You could literally say anything. You could just quote, yes, Olga. <laughs> and if you want to support, and that is the one of the best ways to support, you can always support Patreon as well, which is patreon.com slash who did what now. And I have stuff starting from like a euro so it's like a really base sort of you want to like show a bit of support but you don't have that much cash but you still want to you know give some money you can always do that and it just helps me physically do stuff like there's a bunch of stuff you get on patreon so there's like some videos uh some private there's private messaging you get shout outs on the show like you had a producer last last week week before time was an illusion um and i think the top tier you actually get a book from my personal collection and like a handwritten note and you know some good stuff and maybe even a surprise gift if you want to support in other ways you can always go to you can always support me on social media um i'm on tiktok instagram twitter facebook on twitter it's who did what now pd and everything else it's who did what now pod and before i go recommendations listening I've been listening to... I've actually been listening to... I was listening to the Lego movie, the second part, soundtrack. Specifically, the catchy song. I've just been... It's really handy when you like need to move stuff. Uh, so I've been listening to that and some Team Starkid stuff. And a wee bit of Hamilton and a wee bit of Beetlejuice. 
So I was actually on my Spotify for the first time in a long time. Um, podcast wise, uh, really, really enjoying. Uh, there's an Irish true crime podcast called Men's Ria. It is, it's, it's really good. If you like true crime and you love Irish voices and people who know what they're talking about, absolutely, you should absolutely go listen. It's fantastic. Please, please, please do. And I currently not reading anything for fun, but if anybody has any recommendations, I would love. Although I'm very tempted to start reading Murder Most Unladylike, even though I know it's a children's book, but um, still. And if anyone has any recommendations for somewhere I can get some really cool stickers, because I really want to get my skating helmet covered, because I'm planning to get my roller skates back out to see if I can get myself physically moving on them without crying. That's that's the goal. So if anyone has any recommendations for stickers that I can cover my cover my helmet in, that would be super great. And on that note, I'm going to bid you farewell. And I will chat to you soon. Adios. Au revoir. Au revoir, my friends. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.